And so I, I want to get into this message. Now, it's been very, um, this is not unique. I, I don't do this very often. It's been broken up. And, and, and usually when I start a, se- a, a series like this, when we, we went, remember we were in First Peter? You can turn to First Peter, would you please, to the third chapter. And you, you'll remember, I know, especially you ladies will remember, where it says, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands as unto the Lord. And so that is a, that is a, a, a thought that, that Peter pours out to us, and there's a reason for it, and we're going to learn it, and it takes time. And that's why I'm so sorry that this message has been kind of broken up a little bit. Uh, but I think you'll remember but if you turn with me to, to 1 Peter chapter 3, let's refresh our memory. Our Lord says through Peter that the wives will be the submissive to their own husbands. Verses 1 through 6 of 1 Peter chapter 3. And he says there's a reason for that. The reason is, ladies, that you are hopefully, even if he is disobedient to the word of God, by your behavior, by your quiet and gentle spirit, you will draw him to Christ. That's a purpose that you have in your marriages. Then, in verse 7, Peter talks to the men. He says to the husbands, you husbands, in the same way. In other words, likewise. In other words, like the wife was to be submissive, you are, along with her, to be submissive. Remember, Paul teaches that we are to submit to one another in the fear of Christ. So it's not just a one-way street of this whole idea of submission, but there is order. What Peter is doing, and you're going to see it so clearly as we move along in this study, Peter is bringing order to the family of God, to the marriage, to the husband and wife. By the way, as, as I listen to stuff on the radio and on television... And I see the world in which we live today. It is really treacherous out there. You you don't have to say yes or no to this, but just to me it's treacherous. There are wars and there are rumors of wars that are going on in this whole planet of ours. And in it all, there's a tremendous disrespect for the church and for the family of God and for marriages. And so I think what we're going through is timely. Really timely. Because the very essence, as you're going to learn today so clearly, the very essence of our marriage is to reflect Jesus Christ and the church. And so it seems logical to me that Satan would love to disrupt the, the, the church and in so doing disrupt marriages. And we're seeing it. The, the marriage has become passe. Having children outside of marriage has become the thing now. And we're losing the very essence of, and the emphasis of what God wanted to do through us, the church, and through us, through marriages. Your marriage, my marriage, our marriages are critical in this society in which we live. Let's take a look and see why. And let's see how. It's, this is... This is the most beautiful study you and I will ever go through, I'm promising you. And I know some of you are single. I'm going to speak to that in a moment. 
But when he says in verse 7, you husbands in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, that was a farming term we learned. That means you are to help your wife to flourish. If she is a woman that is submissive to you, yet she has a lot of talents, don't, don't push down or, or diminish her talents, but rather allow them to flourish as the husband and the family. It says in, in verse 7, as with someone weaker since she is a woman, and we learn very clearly she is weaker only because she has willfully placed herself under her husband's authority, him being the head of the house. So Paul, Peter says, grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers, men, your prayers will not be hindered. And I know of nobody, nobody as a Christian weaker than someone who, who understands and realizes that their prayer life is diminished, hindered, if you would. And so I said the last time we gathered together, if your prayer life is hindered, gentlemen, there's two things you need to do. Ask the Lord to seek if there's any sin in your life and confess it, and then get yourself right with your wife. The only way you can do that is by asking her, how am I doing as far as you are concerned, darling? And she will probably tell you. And then when she tells you, you have a responsibility. Do you or does she have your word? To me, our word is so important. My father, I am my father's son. And my dad, when he promised something to someone, no matter what it was, he would see it through. And so having your word as a as the very essence of who you are as a being is critical. Well, as we're going to get in now into this new kind of message, as this new uh, where we should be, Paul, yes, Paul, because we're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Please turn to Ephesians chapter 5 with me. Paul is going to up the ante to the husbands. When he says in chapter Five of Ephesians, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Okay, that's, that's not a problem. I can love my wife, but I am to love my wife, Kay, just as Jesus Christ loves the church and gave Himself up for us. That's a wonderful and tall task for anyone that takes the responsibility of marriage seriously. And, and any time I counsel young, young couples going to get married, I say this is a responsibility that's more than really meets the eye for you. It's a responsibility that you take seriously what God is asking you to do as a husband and as a wife. And gentlemen, if we take this command seriously, I believe we will win at every turn as her husband to love her like Jesus Christ loves us. In Ephesians chapter 5, look what Paul writes. He quotes out of Genesis chapter 2, which we will turn to in a moment. First, let's look at Ephesians 5. And hold your place in Ephesians 5 because we're going to come back to it in a moment. But listen to this, verse 31. For this reason, talking about marriage, marriage now, a man shall leave his father and his mother... He shall be joined or cleave to his wife, and the two of them shall become one flesh. Paul writes, this mystery is great. But I am speaking, verse 32, 
I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. I want you to note something. Our marriages are a reflection of our Lord Jesus Christ and the body of believers, His church. How we treat one another will either draw or turn people to or away from Jesus Christ in the church. So it's no wonder that Satan is, is having a heyday trying to destroy marriages and trying to belittle the church, Christianity. It's an awesome responsibility that you and I have. Verse 33, Nevertheless, each individual among you, love his own wife as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. These here, verse 33, is the defined roles in a husband and a wife in the bonds of marriage. If you wonder what your marriage should be like, there it is in verse 33. Husbands, love your wife as you do your own self. Wives, respect your husbands. Now, let's pray because I'm all ramped up. And, and, and I want to make sure that I don't go off on my own thoughts. I want to stay to these notes that the Lord gave me during the week to, as I studied. Father, please, would you open up our eyes so that we might behold the most wonderful things that we have the privilege of beholding. That is your most glorious word, our law, our, our lifeblood. And would you move me aside so that I don't get all ramped up and not really get away from what you want to say rather than what I might say. I don't want that to happen. So, Father, move me aside so that we might hear from your heart to ours. And would you bless this time that we have with one another. Father, thank you for David Briggs filling in this pulpit so beautifully. And thank you for the people of this church, godly, wonderful people who come here not to have their ears tickled, but to hear, Father, the truth of God's Word. May we do that. May we be faithful to present the Word as clearly as we possibly can. Thank you, Father, for your kindness. And thank you for this church. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I want you to note something in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. Paul takes us back to the very first book of the Bible. He is quoting Genesis chapter 2. And it is in Genesis chapter 2. I please ask you to hold Ephesians 5, but turn now to the very first book in the Bible, Genesis, to the second chapter. It is in here that we will see the very first wedding ceremony conducted by God the Father, maybe Jesus Christ, yeah, I think it would be Jesus Christ, to two people, Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 2, as we've already explained, in verse 7 of chapter 2, look, it said, The Lord God formed, take a hold of that word, He formed men out of the dust of the ground, and He breathed into His nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. This is the start of the human race. There is Adam. The Lord God formed him. The word formed there in the Hebrew is like making... I use this example. I don't know if it's... I've never, I didn't get this out of a commentary. But it's like making a snowball. In other words, it's very simple. God just made man. Boom, there he is. Breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and he became a living being. Now, take a look at verse... 15 of Genesis chapter 2. Then the Lord God took the man 
put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. This God had already created the earth and all of that. And he took the man to the Garden of Eden. He says, take care, cultivate, keep this place. In other words, you have a responsibility here. Take care of it. The Lord God said to him in verse 16, very important, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely. You've got all you want to eat in here. There's myriads of foods. You can eat from them freely. But, verse 17, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat from it you shall what? Make note of that. You shall surely die. God did not stutter. He did not hesitate. He said, you eat from this tree, which I have commanded you not to eat from. The day you eat from it, you shall surely die. Now, what we know is man did eat from it. We're going to learn in chapter 3 when we get there of Genesis. But he didn't die physically. What he did was he died what? He did. He died spiritually, folks. We know, we know that he did because the first thing that he and his wife did, Eve, at that point when they ate from that fruit of that tree, is they hid themselves from God. Are you kidding me? The one who gave them all of life and everything they hid from? Yeah, he, they died all right. They died spiritually. And that's what I don't want from any of us here in this church. I want us to be alive. I want us to be on fire for the Lord. That Pentecostal church did me good. That one man I wish I would have met made me upset that I didn't go up to him. I wanted to thank him for giving me a new a new sense of, of desire to be passionate for my Lord. Anyways, what we see is the Lord God said to the man, you can eat from all of this, don't worry. But don't eat from that tree which is in the middle of the garden. The day you eat from it, you shall surely die. Now, watch. I want, you to, I want you to see what I think I see. I want you to see the sense of humor of God. Because I believe God has a wonderful sense of humor. He asks the man, look what he says. Look at verse 18. You're, I think you're going to like this. I, I love it. He says, it is not good for you to be alone. I'm going to make you a helper that is suitable for you. Suitable means I'm going to bring... Some, what he's saying to him is right now, even though you're walking with me, you're not complete. I want to complete you as a being. You are like this, and I'm going to bring someone into your life that fits perfectly with you, that will complete you as a being. God's sense of humor. Watch. Verse 19, then out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky. And he brought him to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the, na- whatever the man called the living creature was its name. Now what did he just tell him? I'm going to make you a helper that is going to complete you. Suitable for you. So the man sees Giraffe. Giraffe. Maybe we can neck a lot. That was my poor attempt of a joke. (laughs) Then next comes by, but she didn't seem, that giraffe didn't seem suitable for me. Horse. Horse. Let's call this horse. And so he goes on and on. 
And I'm thinking the Lord's over there going, I think he's laughing. Look, because it says, verse 20, the man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field, but for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. He couldn't find one. So what did the Lord do? Caused him to go to sleep. Caused him to put him into a sleep. Look, look at verse 21. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. The man slept. And then the Lord took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh at that place. And then the Lord God, here's very important, ladies. He fashioned into a woman the rib which was taken from the man and brought her to the man. Verse 7. The Lord God formed us men. Verse 22. The Lord God fashioned you ladies. Formed. Simple word. Making a snowball. Fashioned? Oh, oh. nah. uh No, no. Fashion is an architectural term. It is that God took great care to, to make this, I was going to say build, I don't know if that's the right way, but to, to make this woman so that she would be perfect for Adam. She would fit him perfectly. She would complete him as a being. And then he got, caused Adam to awaken and he brought her to Adam. You know what that is in my mind? It's the start of the first marriage ceremony. You're going to see it in a moment. It's like the, the fathers do the, their daughters when they bring them down the aisle to hand her, hand her hand over to the man she's going to marry. God brought her to Adam. What does Adam do? Well, he does what he was taught to do. He names her. Look, look at the next verse. What is it, verse 23? Yeah, the man said, Oh, she is now bone of my bones flesh of my flesh she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man now that's a bad rendering i'm telling you you read that you don't get very excited but in the hebrew that's a term of great excitement it's basically what he's saying yes yes that's not a giraffe that's not an elephant that's a woman wrap her up i'll take her no on second thought don't wrap her up leave her just like that lord i'll take her just like that and so god then says Next verse, verse 24, for this cause, marriage. And here's the prototype of every marriage that is ever to take place. Your marriage, my, my marriage, every marriage throughout all of life. The man shall leave his father and his mother. The man shall cleave unto his wife. And the two of them shall become one flesh. Next verse, both of them were naked I just quoted verse 24. Now I'm quoting verse 25. Both of them were naked and they were not ashamed. The word naked means transparent. It had nothing to do with the clothes they weren't wearing because they weren't wearing clothes. They were transparent. Not ashamed means to be open with one another. They were transparent and open. Verse 25 is key to every marriage. It's how well do you communicate with your husband? How well do you communicate with your wife? The key to a godly marriage is communication, being transparent and open with one another. Naked, not ashamed. But what I want you to note is is what is taking place here. Marriage is to reflect, we are told by Paul, Jesus Christ and the church, His love to us. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the groom. We are the bride of Christ. 
And so His love was shown to us. For God so loved the, the world, what? That He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. That was love, ultimate love. What we do as the church, what we do as a believer, as the bride of Christ, we are to honor and to respect the Lord our God. Fits together. Fits together. I want you to note something very important, though, with verse 24. Gentlemen, you had to take a good hard look at this. Ladies, you ought to note it too. This, the first half of verse 24 speaks primarily to the men. Puts the ball directly in the man's court. At the moment we say, I do, we have basically, men, bought the farm. God places the very foundational stone of making the marriage work upon the man to leave his father and his mother and to cleave to his wife. What does that mean? Why? Why do we do that? Why has God not asked the, the wife to leave and to cleave? I believe because she has been fashioned, not formed. Never forget, God has made men and women differently for a purpose. We are to complete one another. In my life, because I am married to Kay Werhas, I am not complete without her. And I know it. And by the grace of God, she knows that she's not complete without me. I can figure my end of the deal. Hers, I've, I've always wondered, why in the world did she say yes to this? I, I, I shave in the morning. I look at my face. Why did she say yes? The greatest mystery and the greatest joy I have in my life of loving my wife. Because she completes me as a being. You see, most women are wives in the making. Born within most women's heart is to be a wife. Now remember... Remember, the Bible is not speaking to all women in general here. None of us, men or women, fit into every single mold. It all depends upon how God has gifted us. Some women, some men are called to being single. Paul teaches that. If you want to, you can turn. To, I've got you in a lot of different places. Ephesians, now Genesis, now 1 Corinthians. Please forgive me. But if you want to look at it, but you can listen. I'm going to quote it right out of the Bible. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, chapter 7, verses 7, 8, and 9. Paul says, I wish that you were all even as I myself am. Paul's made that statement. However, he says, each person has his own gift from God. One in this manner and another in that, he says. Then in verse 8 of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says, I say to the unmarried and to the widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I am. In other words, stay single. But, verse 9, if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. I've had young people ask me, how do I know when I'm supposed to get married? I say, you're going to know. Well, what do you mean you're going to know? I can't tell you. I only say to you, you're going to know. And when I saw Kay... I saw a lot of women in Hawaii. Some of very, very beautiful women. But when I saw Kay, it was like something else. And I knew. I wasn't a believer then, so I didn't have a love for her. I had a lust for her. I'll be honest with you. I, 
That's enough. You probably understand. But she stood out. And I knew there was something special and unique about her. There's no way that I could be a single person. I have not the gift of singleness. Because I burn with passion. I burn with passion for my wife. But for the most part, young girls are already a wife in the making. But listen, let me just say this. Don't try to force some of your single friends into being married or to dating. Look, they know if they should date. And they know what pleases them. You don't need to pick them apart. They, They get it. They know. If they ask you, if they ask you, do you know someone that I can date? Then you can pick for them. But until then, leave them alone. They might be called to singleness, not to being married. But for the most part, young girls are already a wife in the making. Let me give you a for instance. Let me, t- let me ask you this. When's the last time you saw a dad and his son looking through a groom magazine shopping for the right outfit for our wedding? No, no, son, those, those slacks are not for you. When's the last time you've seen that? You've never seen a guy and a dad do that. Well, let me ask you another question. When's the last time you've seen a mother and a daughter look through a bride magazine? Oh, my gosh. Bride magazines are, I don't know, that thick. They're thick. And I watch my wife and my daughter trying to pick out the right gown and the right colors and the flowers that were going to go on the day. You know what the guys were doing? Who knows? Only God knows what the guys were doing. But they weren't thinking about it. I tell every guy that's going to get married when they counsel them, look, even if, if you can't, pretend that you're interested in the colors. I mean, because it's, it's, it's important for your bride-to-be. I'll never forget. I was at the office. It was, gosh, quite a while ago now. Kay called me on the phone and she said, we found Cassie's wedding dress. Come. Come. Watch. Help her enjoy this moment. When I walked into that bride place, I don't know what you even call it. When I walked in there with all those dresses and and all of that, I, I just saw my daughter in this dress. You know the first thing I did? I walked up to her and I said, may I have May I have the first dance? I put her in my arms and we danced around that. Darn it. You think you you get over stuff like that. We danced around that place as if it were some magical ballroom. It was important to her. Therefore, it was important to me. A young girl's heart is bent by making her marriage and wedding a very special occasion. For those of you that are about to get married, if you are, don't, as a guy, diminish that. Help her to flourish in that. So God says, are we back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24? God says to the man... Upon taking the wife, I want you to leave your father and your mother. Now think about it. All right, let's take a look at this. Who was Adam's, 
it's a Bible quiz. Pop quiz. Got to answer this question. Who is Adam's mother and father? Yeah, he didn't have them. God was the whole thing. But he had no mom. He had no dad. God created him, formed him. There was no one else there. So what is this? What is verse 24 telling you? It's a prototype. It is a, uh, what do they call that? I don't know. Um, it's like a template. That, is that a good word? It's like a, it's a, it's a prototype for every marriage that was going to take place after that marriage. Every marriage was to fall into line. Every marriage after Adam and Eve, they were to, the man was to leave his mother and his father. He was to cleave to his wife. The two of them were to become one flesh. They were both naked and they were both not ashamed. It had nothing to do with the clothes they were wearing. It had to do with their transparency with one another, their communication with each other. And so we realize that God asks the man to leave his mother and his father. Now, now what will you know from the fifth commandment? In Exodus chapter 20, you don't need to turn there, verse 12, it says in the fifth commandment that we are to honor our mothers and our fathers. And then God says, if you do that, I give you a promise that your days may be long on the land in the Lord your God that, is, that He has given to you. So what it is not saying is that you are to leave your mother and your father. No, He is stating that you are no longer to be the boy in that family. You are no longer to be the son in that family. You are now to become your wife's husband. And you are to love her like Jesus Christ loves the church. And then God says, after you've done that, when you become her husband, you leave your mother and your father. Then you cleave to your wife. That's a bonding term. It means to be glued together. In other words, what, and I've never said this at any wedding I've ever done, what God has joined together, let no one separate. That's the Lord, our Lord's word in Matthew chapter 20. Excuse me, 19. Jesus said, For this reason a man shall leave his mother... What he was quoting was out of Genesis chapter 2, Jesus was, in, Je- in, in Matthew chapter 19. Leave your mother and your father, cleave to your wife, Two of you should become one flesh. You are no longer two, but you are one flesh. And what God has joined together, let no one separate, he says. No one, no one, not even myself, can separate my wife and me by divorce. I can't do that. Now, there are two reasons for for divorce. Adultery and abandonment. But apart from that, there is no reason. And so they said to the Lord, after He said that that what God has joined together, let no man separate, they said, well, then why did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus answered that question and said, because of the hardness of their hearts. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, he says, I tell you, it has not been so. And in Malachi chapter 2, verse 16, the Lord clearly says... I hate divorce. Now, there's some of you here who have been through divorce. God does not look down upon you. But He is saying, if you're going to remarry, then for God's sake, become her husband. And for the sake of God Almighty, don't separate. Stay with one another. Cleave to her. So we make a statement, men. You'll note God didn't ask the woman to leave and to cleave. 
He's asking us as men to make a statement of commitment to make the marriage work. We're to love our wives like Jesus Christ loved the church. No one, nothing will separate me from my love for my wife, Kate. I've made that promise. So with this responsibility, God has given the husband a very, a very amazing responsibility within the whole framework of marriage. In Ephesians, I told you that we'd go back to Ephesians chapter 5. Please turn back there. Keep, keep Genesis 2 again. I'm sorry if I'm, I'm making you jump back and forth too much. But this has been critical because it's going to answer some of the questions for the wives who say they are to be submissive to their own husbands. It's going to buffer that feeling of, of, of how am I going to submit myself to him? And so God says that, that the man should be the head of the home. Look what he says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, again, Paul reiterates what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3. He says, wives, be subject to your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. See that? In other words, gentlemen, you and I represent Jesus Christ to our wives and to our family. The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. And so we have a responsibility, men, to be the head of our homes, the spiritual head of our homes. But I want to teach you a great lesson about headship, about anything in authority, which I hold to myself here in this pulpit because for this time God has blessed me and given me the responsibility to be in the pastor of this church. And so because of that, I have been called to be the head of this church. I, I get that. I get it. But this is the way I hold it. Look with me at chapter 20 of Matthew. You're going to learn a great lesson, man. And anyone that has any, any position of authority is going to learn a great lesson from Matthew chapter 20. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus Christ is about to teach us and the disciples what headship truly means. It's a scene. They're around eating, and and, in two of the twelve disciples, two brothers, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, along with their mommy, come to Jesus Christ wanting a place of honor for her son. Let's read it. See what's said here in Matthew chapter 20. I asked you to turn there. I should have. Forgive me. I'll get there in a minute. Matthew, that's New Testament, right? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. That was a joke. Bad one. Matthew chapter 20. Look at verse 20. It says, The mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus Christ with her sons, as James and John, and she bowed down and made a request of him. Made a request to Jesus Christ. Look at her request. She said to him, no, he asks her, what do you wish? And she said to him, command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus answered and said, you, you do not know what you are asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And they said to him, we are able. They don't have a clue what he's going to go through. Yeah, we can do it. 
Jesus said to them, My cup you shall drink, verse 23. But to sit on my right hand and on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those who, for whom it has been prepared by my Father. Now, look at the dysfunction of the twelve. Upon hearing this in the next verse, the other guys, the other ten, became indignant. We want to be in charge too. We want to sit on your right and left. That's what it says. Look. Look at verse uh, 20, chapter 20. Look at verse 24. Upon hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. It was so dysfunctional. But Jesus called them to himself and he taught them a lesson. He said this. Watch. He says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great shall become your servant. And whoever wishes to be first shall be your slave. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give His life a ransom for many. Headship, authority. If you've been blessed by God to have a position of authority, then you are to become those who are with you. You are to become their servant. You are to become their slave in the framework of a marriage, because you and I, husbands, have become the head of the house, it means automatically we are not in that house to be served, but we come into that house with our wives and our kids to serve them. We become their servants. And so wives, when it says to you to be submissive to your own husbands, that if you do, you are going to be blessed as you honor him. But husbands, if you are going to live with your wives in an understanding way and help her to flourish, you are to become the head of the house, which means automatically you become her servant. You become her slave and lift her up. Some say that I put my wife on a pedestal. You bet your doggone life I do. Because she is the best thing that God has ever given to me apart from my salvation. You know what's good about that? What I just told you? My wife's not here. I'm not making points. She believes that. Go ahead and ask. Well, you don't have to ask her because that'd be... She believes that I think that she's, the, she's everything. She knows that anything she asks of me after we've been transparent, naked, and not ashamed, open, after we've discussed it, the decision we come to will be what she and I both agree to. But she knows she has my, my heart and my thoughts above anything and everyone else. She knows that. Does your wife know that, gentlemen? In a marriage... Too many of a marriage is led by a man. Look, if you're still in Matthew chapter 20, too many husbands really are the man in the wife's life. They're the man in the marriage. And they're like verse 25 of Matthew chapter 20. They try to lord and to exercise their authority over their wives and others. 
but a true husband. Someone who has left his mother and his father and has, has cleaved unto his wife becomes like verse 28. Someone who has come to serve and not to be served. I like it very much like what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. I've kind of put these words, verses to memory. It says, Do nothing from selfishness nor empty conceit, but with humility of mind let each of you regard one another as more important than you do your own self. Not looking out for your own personal interests, but looking out for caring for the interests of one another. Husbands, that should be your motto in your marriage. That you'll regard your wife as more important than you do your own self. Let me close. <laughs> Turn back to Genesis chapter 2. We've, we've left off something very important. Because in verse 24, God now speaks to the both of them. He said in verse 24, the first half of the verse, Husbands, I want you to leave your mother and your father, and I want you to cleave unto your wife. Now he says then that they, the two of them, shall become one flesh. You know what one flesh means? It's a sexual term. The first point of order that God places in a marriage is to have intercourse with one another. Most people think God is a prude. <laughs> On the contrary. Most people think us Christians are not hip. <sighs> On the contrary. A long time ago I heard on television when Joe Namath was really popular. He was a playboy. And the other quarterback with the Dallas Cowboys was really popular. And his name was Roger Staubach. And Phyllis George was a, a, a commentator, a sports commentator, one of the first women. And I think she tried to get under the skin of Roger Staubach. And she started talking to him about Joe Namath having all these affairs. And she says, and you're married and you do not. And he says, there's only one thing difference between Joe and me, he said to Phyllis George. He says, I have sex just as much as he does, but that's only with my wife. To which her watched her just go, just get red. She tried to put him on a spot. He just really, it was such a beautiful moment. I have sex just as much as Joe. I just prefer to do it with one woman, my wife. Yes. Yes. As far as sex is concerned, God says the marriage bed is undefiled. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Marriage is to be held in honor amongst all, God says. And the marriage bed is to be undefiled, God says. But fornicators, those who, that is sex when you're single. And adulterers, that is sex when you cheat on your mate. God will judge. Don't miss that point. I'm not speaking to you right now. I'm saying to anyone that listens over, over our, it just happens to hear this. Outside of marriage, God will always curse a sexual relationship. In the framework of a marriage, within marriage, God says He will always honor and bless it. Always. Think again. What is our society trying to do with our marriages? What is a society trying to do to husbands and wives? They're trying to destroy us. 
They're trying to make sex available to everyone, and they've done a pretty good job. Yet God says the marriage bed is undefiled, and He warns those who fool around with sexual promiscuity that outside of marriage, fornicators and adulterers will be judged. Make no doubt about it. One of my favorite teachers that I ever sat under was a man by the name of Dr. Jack MacArthur, John MacArthur's father, when Kay and I first married, and we lived in Eugene, Oregon. Dr. Jack told this story. There were these seminary students that asked their older professor in their, in their class, he was talking about marriage, and, and actually he was talking about Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, where it says, you know, the two shall become one flesh, and they wanted to embarrass this old professor. And so one of the guys raised his hand and said, Doctor, is there any reason for sex other than procreation? And this old man time around his pulpit, I guess, I don't know. And he took off his glasses, I guess, I don't know. And he said, sure, just for the fun. He did the same thing to them that, that Staubach did to Phyllis George. Put them right in their place. Marriage. One of the greatest privileges that you and I have as human beings. Your wife has been made to complete you, gentlemen. Ladies, your husband has been made to complete you. Both of us have different different functions. We're to love our wives like Christ loves the church, gentlemen. And we're to be the head of our houses, which means we are to be our wives and our family's servants. We're to serve them. Ladies, you're to be submissive to your own husband. As unto the Lord. I think in next week we'll find out why. Because in this first marriage, there became a problem. I'm four or five minutes late. I want to ask your forgiveness. Please forgive me. In this first marriage, there became a problem. You know what it is? We'll teach you next week. It has to do with being in the garden in that tree which sat in the middle of the garden that God says, in the day of you eat of it, you shall what? Okay, you know it. So did Eve. Watch her response next week. And watch the response of the both of them and watch what God does to marriage. And you're going to now see why, ladies, you are to be submissive to your own husband. God's going to teach us next week. Father, thank you for today. What a joy to be able to study your words. Father, it's, uh, I, hope, I hope I didn't try to bite off more than I should have chewed. This was a, a big responsibility, the whole thing of marriage. It's something that I hold dear to my heart. I pray, Father, that if there's anyone that needs any prayer requests at all, that we, they'd come forward. Not, not necessarily about marriage, but certainly could be about marriage. But we have a prayer team that wants to pray whether it be for someone who is sick, someone who is hurting, whatever it might be, that you'd come bring us up forward to, that we would pray for one another. And Lord, from, from this moment forward, as we go to maybe breakfast here or wherever you might take us, would you please bless bless each person here, Father. Thank you for this church. I love these people, Father, more than I could ever express. You know that well, Lord. I pray that you'll watch over each of them. In Jesus' precious name, amen.